sunlight hurts my eyes And something without warning love Bears heavy on my mind Then I look at you And the world's alright with me Just one look at you And I know it's gonna be Could just jump in now. Yeah, right? we on right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. It is nine o'clock, and you know if it's nine o'clock, it's Babs Girls Ivy on Love Babs Love Talk, one hundred three point five FM WNHH. We're live streaming on like all kinds of stuff: NewHavenIndependent.org, Facebook, New Haven Independent, YouTube, YouTube. Oh, we got the YouTube going. Yeah. Deuces. Nice. And guess who's hanging out with us today? Good morning. Ingo. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about Cuba because, you know, she just got back from Cuba. Well, not just got back. A but little while ago. A little while ago. Yeah. She got back. I, I saw all the pictures. They were gorgeous. Yes. Oh, my God. I was like. Such an amazing But place. everybody who goes to Cuba takes the most amazing. I have not seen a bad picture come out of Cuba from people visiting it yet. Yeah. Well, it's a pretty photogenic place. It is. So, it is. Yeah. It is very photogenic. Gorgeous. All right. So now what made you go to Cuba? I have wanted to go to Cuba since I was 19 years old, to be honest. So I had started, I was in New York City, I was going to college, and I started dancing and doing, I just met all these people from Cuba and from Brazil, from different countries, and I fell in love with the music, with rumba, and I was also involved in the Santeria community, like the Orisha uh-huh. community, and so I think I just fell in love with it, and I knew, had some friends who had gone there, and just hearing from people about what life was like there, and the music, and just wanted to go but it took me 20 something years to get there <laughs> so, <laughs> well now it's free now you can people can go yeah. without a whole lot of yeah rigmarole and, right you know right. please so, government let me in exactly. you know let me go and yeah so you know. a friend of mine was going and said i you know a friend was supposed to go with her and they canceled and she said do you want to go with me and i I'm said like, yes, yes i'm on it i bought that <laughs> ticket i was like I'm, I'm here so yeah it was amazing so we were there for a week and um, we went to see some people in the Orisha community, the, uh-huh. the Afro-Cuban spiritual community that I had some connections to. But mostly we were walking around, talking to people, eating food, trying to understand life there. Like it's a it's a little bit of a complicated place. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So what was the most stunning thing? The people, the people were by far the most stunning thing. People were so nice. Like we just spent all our time talking to people on the street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just stop and people would... They'd either know we weren't from there, maybe because how we were dressed or something, or they'd, they'd see if we had our beads on or something, and they'd start talking. And people were just so friendly. I just thought that was the most amazing part of it. So did it? Did you go with some expectation of what you might experience, and did it surpass that or meet that? or? Um, yeah, I think I had ideas in my head about um, just being around rumba music and bata drums and, and, and that community. I had... Ex- I at first had expectations about food because Cuban food here is so amazing and delicious. But uh-huh. then I started hearing from people that the food in Cuba is actually not as good as the Cuban food here because they don't always have access to yeah. everything. Um, 
So I had to, I lowered my expectations on the food front before I went. And there were a few places we ate that were really good. And then I also felt like there w- the food wasn't as great as I sort of hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. I expected to be able to get rice and beans all just the time. All the right? time. I was like, no worries. There's not like fish or other things. I'm not going to worry. I'll just get some rice and beans. There weren't rice and beans everywhere. <laughs> like <laughs> They had something called congris, which is like rice cooked with beans in it. Uh-huh. Like little, you know, a few black beans sprinkled throughout the rice. But, you know, you think of like, a nice, yeah. delicious, soupy. What you used bean. to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Not very many places had that. Like, and it's because so. of a shortage or I access? Don't know. I mean, I saw beans in the market. <laughs> like, I saw dry beans in the market. So I don't know if it's just that expensive. it's expensive for people, mm-hmm. you know, and most, most people are there to eat the meat or fish. And so maybe they're putting their money into that instead of okay. the beans. So, um, yeah, it was the we did go to the beach a little bit, just the beaches that were near Havana uh-huh. um, and gorgeous. Just gorgeous beaches. I didn't understand that Cuba is has this enormous tourist industry because it's not something that a lot of Americans go to, mm-hmm. and that people I knew went more for like the cultural exchange, not to go on a vacation kind of thing. But there's like whole islands right off the coast that there's some islands that are just tourists, like no Cuban people live there. And then there's peninsulas where it's like one hotel after another after another really like cancun or something like that wow. yeah so that i didn't i avoided those places yeah. i don't but like did you know stuff. that going in no because I, did, I didn't well, know i didn't know that either as i started to research kind of where to go i started to understand that there was this huge tourist industry there that i had no idea about so yeah you know another thing i thought was amazing when i said the people were amazing men and their children was just the most beautiful thing. Like everywhere you, I went, there was like men hold, holding their kids' hands, having them on their shoulders, hugging them, kissing them. Like I wasn't looking for that, but it mm-hmm. was noticeably more affectionate with children than here. You wow. know, like really noticeable all over the place. And I thought that was really beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Now I, have, I had some friends who had just gotten back from Cuba and they all sort of say what you say, like, you know, the richness of the people and the music and eating and walking yeah. through the city and yeah. cities and doing all those kinds of things. So, yeah. all right. So you were there place. for a week. Where'd you stay? We stayed in a place called El Cimarron. They have uh-huh. a really nice website, actually. Someone outside of Cuba, I think, built it for them. But it's <laughs> the internet in Cuba is a little tricky. But uh, it's a family. They call it a family project because they have a restaurant and a bunch of little apartments that this extended family runs. And they also have a dance school and they work with kids in their community to use salsa, salsa rueda, which is like dancing salsa in a circle and um, rumba and different and the Orisha dances as sort of a youth engagement program. So it's a really beautiful place. So it's, what do people do for entertainment and fun? Like, is there television i'm sure there's television people have television uh-huh. yeah there's television um people go to the beach um there's music like every night all over the place like music and dancing um if you walk around there the there's public wi-fi spots and you'll see people like standing out on a street corner <laughs> like all clustered in one area and the, a lot of people are doing some sort of video chat with family oh, outside, and of the outside of it's wow. really expensive to get in for them to get internet access but there was you know, you just see like in a park on the side of a park, there'll just be people like sitting on the, on the curb or like in the parks. Um, yeah. So family life there is a big deal. Like people are really close with their families. Uh-huh. So I think there's just a lot of kind of cooking and hanging out together. So now what kinds of things did you do? Did you tour, did you go to schools? Did you tour museums? What did you do? Um, 
we walked around. We rode the bus around the city so that we could really get to know. The bus is like four cents. Nobody, everybody said, don't take the bus. And we were like, why don't take the bus? Like, get on the bus. So the bus was like four cents. So it was very cheap. And then you got to see the city and like talk to people. Like four pennies. Four pennies. So there's two kinds of money in Cuba. There's pesos, the Cuban pesos, which are um, the the money that people get paid in and are the kind of currency of the country. And then there's the CUC, the kook, which is kind of a tourist money, which is pegged to the dollar. But Cubans use it, too, because it's worth 25 times what the peso is used. Wow. So, yeah. So there's sort of it's this very complicated thing because you have two economies going on and you have some things people buy in pesos and some things people buy in kooks and the price difference is astronomical. Um, And people who have interaction with tourists, like if they're uh, a waiter or if they drive a taxi or they get tipped in kooks, then they're getting tipped in dollar, you know, in a very valuable currency versus if they have a a job that's in uh, paid in pesos a government job or any other job. So there's very complicated things in terms of the economy and how that's creating a, um, a divide for people. An economic I did not divide. know that. Yeah. I did not. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So if people listen, if you want to hear more about that on my show on the table underground, that's what I was getting to like, t- let, yeah. get to that. Talk about, I your... interviewed. Uh, so I had this experience in Cuba, but I left there with more questions. Than <laughs> I was like, I was like, I need to like, how does to this work? To I don't this. understand this. Yeah. Well, I spent, you asked what I was doing. I spent the whole week just trying to kind of get to know the country as much as you can in a week. And so I went around into markets. I talked to people. There's like ration stations where people get their monthly rations of food. So I went in there and I said, hi, I'm a chef from America. I would like to learn about, I speak enough Spanish that I could kind of get by. So um, I went around talking to people. We went to a few museums, went to the beach a little, but mostly I wanted to like dance and meet people, talk to people. And try. I was trying to understand food too. Uh-huh. So I, I spent a day working in, in uh, or more than a day, some time working in the restaurant where that was attached to where we were staying, um, just helping them do some prep and stuff. But it was fun to do like a chef to chef exchange, just get to, to be in the <laughs> kitchen with them. That was cool. So... Um, yeah, so on my show, I invited, I got connected to uh, actually a Yale professor of um, Latinx studies and, and ethnicity and American studies. His name is Albert Laguna. And so he joined me on the Table Underground show to talk about Cuba and give more history and background and okay. explanation about why things are the way they are in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about the Table Underground because I know you from City Seed. When I met yeah. you, you was holding it down at City Seed. Yeah. And then the next thing I know, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm bouncing from City Seed. And we're like, <laughs> okay, well, what you going to do? Yeah. And then the next thing I know, da, 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 table <laughs> underground, which is so badass. I Aww, dig it. Thank you. I dig it. And I love the pictures. I love. Thank you. You know, and Harry always jokes because we talk about it. He's like, you know, first time I heard taking show, I had chickens in the background. <laughs> I know. It's the one show that was country. You got 12 shows that are city and one country show. And he gets on me about those chickens. <laughs> and he's like. Where it's good is she audio. in the winter? I'm trying to take people out of the city on a journey somewhere. So, yeah, no, it was a winter on That's the farm like. episode. That was and the whole point. he kept saying it. Taking us on a farm in winter with some chickens That's in the right. background. He's like, you could hear. You'd like, be surprised. That it, was, was, it was great audio. Yeah. It was. Because I, I was like, for a while there, am I on a farm? And then I heard Yay. him say, take his voice. I was like, thank God. Yes. <laughs> All right. I see. I, I brought you down. You felt safe. 
<laughs> no, the point was who goes on a farm in the winter, right? But I was farmers. Like, right, farmers, but not People anybody who have else. to be, yeah. That's right. So I thought we should go out and visit and see what goes on. And surprisingly, there were chickens and laying eggs. There was greens growing and, <laughs> and they were like harvesting stuff. I was like, all right, this is good. We need to show this. It's just out at Masaro Farm in Woodbridge. So, wow. just outside. so it's just like in our... Yeah, and they donate a ton of food into New Haven. They they donate like thousands of pounds of their food every year to some of the soup kitchens Good. and senior centers in different places. Good. So so now, how yeah. did you come up with the concept of Table Underground? Because you are a chef. Yes. So you know, I was working at City Seed for nine years. I and, didn't know it was that long. Yeah, eight or nine years, and leading up a lot of community engagement work, community yes. organizing, policy, education, all this stuff. And uh-huh. I loved it. It was my heart work. I before that, I had been working as a chef. And I said, you know, I have to figure out how to mix like my cooking, Activism. my food work yep. and my social justice work. Because yep. I was like, I keep saying I'm tired of cooking for rich people. Because when you're a chef, a lot of times that's what you I end up doing. I used to be doing. a chef. So Did I, you? Yes. Oh. So I know. You know. I got out that game a long time yes. ago. So it's, it's, hard. it's grueling. People don't yes. understand how it's grueling it is. Yeah. You know, so. I loved it. I loved every I, minute I, I of it. I love cooking. I don't like cooking for people. Yeah. on demand yeah. i like cooking for people when i feel like cooking right. for people do you know right. what i mean yeah yeah and i don't like cooking for demand and and having the responsibility right. of the same old same old mm-hmm. day in and day out yeah and on, and on call to do it right day in and day no out. i get so, that yeah. yeah i did it professionally for about 10 years but i ended up having my own catering company and stuff so i had a little more control over some of that but so i i was at city seed and i moved from the kitchen into doing kind of community and social justice work with food and i absolutely loved it but I sort of got a little bit burnt out because community organizing is exhausting. Done that. And I felt like, <laughs> it, right, right? <laughs> Girl, it will wear you thin. That's right. <laughs> necessary so, work. Necessary. And I loved and, it. And we, we loved, I loved it, it. But I loved it. And I just felt like, you know, it was around getting close to the 10 year mark. I was like, all right, mm-hmm. I'm ready for a new phase of doing similar work, but how to kind of reinvigorate the artist in myself. And I really loved, I had had a food blog for a lot of years and I loved telling the story of what I was seeing. We in had my the same life because I'm a blogger too. Mm-hmm. So. We're going to have to hang some more. Yeah. 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 So oh, drinks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't drink that much, but I'll hang with you in the all bar. Right, That's all right, fine. No, I'll do it for you. Don't worry. <laughs> I got you taken. I can't hold my liquor. So, um, yeah. So I said I just had to take a leap of faith and kind of open up and see I was terrifying to leave all this work that I had poured my heart into but I knew that it was time for a change and so I just took a leap of faith and allowed myself a couple months of time to kind of see what was calling to me Mm -hmm. I had a sense that I liked telling the story of stuff but I didn't really know what it was going to look like and then this new path emerged I, I actually reached out to Paul and Lucy at WNHH in New Haven Independent and said, hey, can I do a, like a guest spot? And on they were like, yes! food show?" <laughs> and Paul said, oh, we already have a food show. And then Lucy said, well, I want to go down to doing every other week with my kitchen sink show. Would you like to take on the other week? And I said, yes, absolutely. And so that was the start. And then as I kind of dug into what does this mean? What does it look like? It started growing from there. And so now there's a website and I'm doing the the radio show and podcast, but also writing and blogging about things connected it's, to the show or other it's things. It's fascinating. Yeah. It, it really is fascinating. I And you know, I love your show and I love Lucy's show because I learned so much on the local mm. level about food and where mm-hmm. to eat. Like, I just learned places to go and do just from you two alone. Mm. I'm like, how come I didn't know this? Right. But I wasn't supposed to know it until I heard it yeah. delivered in that in this fashion. Yeah. So. Oh, that's great. So I'm so glad that yeah. you're doing this. Thank you. So how's the response been? It's been great. 
It's and been so people really are great. recognizing you and knowing your show. Yeah, and- it's amazing when I go out into the community and people are like, it's "Oh, I freaky. love your show." Yeah, <laughs> you feel like nobody's listening, and then you're like, "Oh, wow, a lot of people are listening." So yes, yeah, it's exciting. Yes. And I, you know, I'm dealing with kind of food and race. The tagline for the show is digging deep into stories of food, race, radical love, and creative social justice. Girl, stop. So <laughs> I was like, let me just put it all out there. Wow. These are all the things I want to talk about and. And all the, also the things that I observe in my community that I want more people to see. Uh-huh, and so that uh-huh. that's really the point of it. So Well, food is a very, you know, as I, because I, I run a, a support group around um, table fellowship mm. and um, of people who are getting divorced or in various stages of divorce. And eating with people is um, the universal sign of peace. Mm-hmm. Eating, eating, dining with people, right. breaking bread. Right. You know, it's everywhere. It's the Eucharist. It's, it's in all faiths. It's, all walks of life. People eat everywhere, even with the people with the most meagerest of means. Right. You know, there is something sacred about offering food or having food with people. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's a peace. It's a symbol of um, peace. And, and it's it, an equalizer. And it, and it is equalizer. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so food is really an e- equalizer. And I, and I love eating cross-culture. Mm-hmm. You know, I know yes. people who don't, but, you know, I mean, there's some things I eat. Like, I'm not eating beef tongue. I'm not eating tripe or chitlins right. or any of that. But, you know... I'll, I'll, I'll venture. Yeah, you know, I'll venture yeah. a little bit. Not I too love much. exploring food. Yeah. So now, what what are your story. hopes for? And uh, once I ask you this, and I want to talk about a little bit about your background because I sure. I don't know much about you. Yeah. You know, I don't know much about <laughs> you. So, um, what do you hope for your table underground? Like, where do you see it going? Yeah, I would like the listenership to grow mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and I'd love to, I'd love for it to eventually get picked up by other stations so that it was getting a broader, a broader reach. Yeah. Um, yeah. that would be really exciting to me. And I'm trying, my hope is to build a team of people so that it's not just me, but I have like a team that I'm working with so that we're able to do more and, and, and reach more people. I like so, it. I yeah. like it. So tell me, where are you from? Talk a little bit about where you're from and how you grew up yeah. and. Who your I am people from are. the city right here, born and raised in New Haven. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am. Um, so, I mean, just to back up before that, my my fa- I'm Jewish. My family is Jewish. My um, my mom's side, my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, and so on my mom's side, I'm the first generation born here. My mom came when she was twelve. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So my my grandmother was from Holland. My grandfather from Poland. They met in a in a Nazi death camp. They were forced to dance with each other by the guards and they fell in love with each other and they were part of the um, only revolt successful revolt um, against the Nazis of people escaping from a camp and they went into hiding for nine months and then and then were free after the war was over and so eventually my family my mom was born and and my family made their way um, of all places to Connecticut um, <laughs> the, I think the family that sponsored them was was in Connecticut and so they they came here um, and so I was born and raised in New Haven, grew up here, went mm-hmm. to public school here. What neighborhood are you from? Cause you know, we have to rep hoods. Yeah. Uh, so I, <laughs> I moved around a lot into, I was like on Norton street on Foster street and I mean on Linden street. And then when I was 11, we moved on to central Ave okay. in Westville. So, okay. Close so. to synagogues. I would imagine. My family was not religious at all. So oh. I did not grow up going to synagogue, going to, I didn't go to Hebrew school, none of that stuff. I mean, we celebrated holidays and I was aware of my ethnic background and my family's history, but was not religious in that way at all. Um, that was something I sort of came to more as an adult. Um, so I went to all the 
magnets, the West Hills. It was like all the our schools were always moving around. Conti Arts Magnet School, High School in the Community. ECA. Is that where you went with the high school? I in the went community? to high school in the community when it was over on Lawrence Street at oh the end of State Lord, Street. Oh my Lord! Yes, yeah. I'm old. I'm 43. So people <laughs> people look at me, they think I'm really young, but I'm a little older than I look. Yeah, and I went to ECA for dance and. Um, and and my dad yeah my dad's family my dad grew up in Bridgeport so that was uh, my parents loved to cook and so I grew up they divorced when I was two and a half but the only thing that I think they had in common with each other was a love of food uh-huh. and so that was something that I was raised in and um, I came out of New Haven actually wanting to be a teacher and because I had worked as an assistant teacher sort of through high school I loved kids and I felt like education was the way to have an impact in the world like it was pretty intense growing up in New Haven in the was the 80s i graduated high school in 91 it was the height of crack and i'm like 10 years older than you yeah (laughs) that's not so much a decade older than you yeah but uh yeah it was pretty intense here at that time i remember because when i came home from college uh i remember thinking "Ooh, it changed so much in it yeah since you know from the time I, i came out in 81 and went off to college when i came back I could start seeing the beginnings of the change mm. in the neighborhood where mm-hmm. I grew up. So, where did you grow up? In? I grew up in the hill. Okay. I grew up in Church Street South, actually. Okay. Wow. Well, it was pretty. You know, right. it was a pretty place and a lovely place and yeah. grass and trees. And I know it's amazing when I hear people of your generation talking like the the housing projects that were on Dixwell and uh, yes, like Ashman, Ashman Street project, over there. Yeah. And I had a friend in high school and used to go visit her there, and it was just this was in like. 90 91 was just terrible you know and then i heard like frank douglas talking about when they used to have chickens and gardens and i was like what like that was not what the project and you know when i went to west hills that was up in west hills yeah our teacher used to take us out for walks like around the neighborhood which i think was great you know but it was like really run down projects and so yeah that was that was rough like those years i mean my family was in westville like my mom was a, a single parent but we had enough food we had enough like we weren't suffering but certainly the community like i grew up around a lot of people who were struggling and so i definitely came out of new haven feeling like lucky to uh-huh. have the privileges that i have and um and feeling like i wanted to do something with those privileges because i knew a lot of people who weren't getting out of new haven and people some people didn't survive high school some people were in jail other people just felt stuck and didn't feel like they had options to to go anywhere so that was definitely how i left here feeling like what am i going to do with you know i benefited from the city and so many people didn't get to and what can i do with that so i set out um i was in new york i went to sarah lawrence college and was uh out in in new york city like visiting schools and i started working as a teacher while i was in i had to work a lot of jobs when i was in school (laughs) but I, i worked a bunch of teaching jobs and i was like super i was inspired by what i saw in new haven about um education reform that was happening not what we talk about as education reform now but it was like i know what you mean real yes. progressive child-centered learning yeah. education right yeah. and that inspired me and i knew many of the teachers were like my friend's parents and so um that inspired me and i felt like people were building community were were doing really meaningful change by through education and so that was sort of where i kind of set out to to do that kind of work and and eventually I was teaching and then eventually I fell so in love with cooking that I kept noticing I was cooking with my kids in, in class more. And then I was like, I just need to like leave teaching and go cook for a little while. And then that set me on a, a path of almost 10 years of, of cooking. So uh, now in the past 10 years, I've brought kind of the social justice and food piece back together. Now, did you so, go um, formally learn to cook or 
You just sort of, it was a natural I just started gift. getting jobs. I got jobs, you know, entry-level jobs. Yes, and I, I, had, yeah. I had a fair amount of cooking experience um, from my family. And my mom used to, used to bake out of our kitchen and sell to some restaurants in New Haven. So I learned some stuff about how to make cakes and meringues. And so, so some of my first jobs were in bakeries because I had a little skill just uh-huh. from home baking. Um, and then I just worked my way up in restaurants uh, in New York City. And I was in Boston for a few years back in New York and then eventually started my own catering company. So yeah, at that time, a lot of people weren't going to catering. I was right on that line when yeah. people went to cooking school mm-hmm. or not. And so, I think more people are going to cooking school now than ever. Yeah. I don't think, I think you're right about that. Yeah. Cause I, I felt, like I learned what I needed to yeah. on the job. So, yeah. yeah. And then the other part of my life was kind of my spiritual journey of um, being, had my eyes open to the Yoruba uh, Orisha community as a teenager through the dance community. Cause I was dancing mm-hmm. um, and, and sort of had that as a, as a path, something that spoke to me, but then eventually realized I also needed to reconnect with my own faith, my own culture and not, didn't want to be like appropriating another culture. I was like, let me go check out my own culture as well. And so did a lot of learning within Judaism and then realized like, I really want these two things together in my life. And and very shortly after that met my husband <laughs> almost 20 who years is lovely, ago. Who's a lovely, lovely, lovely man. Yeah. Who is also uh, is a priest in the, in the Orisha mm-hmm. tradition. And, and so those things kind of, you know, we have both of those traditions in our, in our family. Mm. So. Good morning. If y'all just tuned in, I know this conversation was so rich. I didn't even do the shout out. <laughs> <laughs> so if you just tuned in, I'm Babs Rolls Ivy. This is Love Babs Love Talk on 103.5 FM WNHH. Uh live streaming on Facebook and HavenIndependent.org and YouTube. So I'm sitting here with my girl Tegan E. Engel. Yeah. And we're just having a really great conversation. And we have some music too, which I don't even know if we're gonna get to music. Yeah. Is it queued up, Harry? Which song did you like? I think the first one. Did you listen to it? Because, you know, my morning show, I forget what the 9 a.m. show is music, too, and talking. But this talk was so good. I forgot all about, <laughs> forgot about the music. Oh, yes. So you asked me for some of my favorite songs. Yes. And you thought I was just picking some Spanish songs out well, of nowhere. No, but no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, didn't want you to feel, I didn't want you to feel compelled so because good. we were talking about Cuba. Yeah. That you had to, like, no, no, make it good. reflect that. I was like, no, girl, if you got some drink yeah. in your... <laughs> you download that we could go with it oh yes well i love this song it's by um oh this is ebay yeah all ah, right so ebay is they are a twin group did you see them when they came to new haven last year no i missed them so angelique kijo is sort of like i love angelique i think kijo. she's like yeah she's amazing so they are afro-cuban twins yes are they hearing us talk over the music yeah okay so they are Afro-Cuban twins. They they did this song when they were 19 years old. Their dad is a famous percussionist from Cuba, uh-huh. but they actually now live in France. And um, they this was their first popular song that came out, and it's amazing. You should check out the video, too. Did you see the video? No, I didn't see the video. The video is deep. Um, I will look at it. So they've I- sort of taken like Afro-Cuban music and Orisha music, as well as written some of their own, but they've made it contemporary, like... It's got some beat behind it, like, um, you know, so it's like updated as uh-huh. a 19 year old Afro Cuban woman <laughs> would want to do it. So they're amazing. And they came to New Haven last year for Arts and Ideas. For Arts and I, I, you know, 
Let me tell you something about arts and ideas. It's so chock full. Yes. And you are, you are constantly trying to figure out what, what to, to go to. And you know, you start off knowing you cannot make everything. No, absolutely. I start off every year thinking, I'm going to do this, this, know, this, 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 this. Me too. And, and get then to like half of it, not get even. Get to half of it yeah. and then life. I mean, I went to the Africa Salon this yes. weekend. Oh my oh. God, I missed it this year. Oh. It looked amazing. Man. Yeah, what were your favorite things? I don't, I keep the food. Yeah. <laughs> the food, the food. The discussions, they had some rich discussions about contemporary modern Africa today right. and the stereotypes that follow Africans. Yes. Um, um, uh, let's see, what else? Uh, the social justice work that's happening, mm-hmm. you know, some of the issues that they're facing. Um, and and um, fashion. Yeah. Like the fashion and how these young people are creating their own fashion and the whole dandy guy thing. Yeah. And, I was like I was in, I was like I don't know jack about Africa. You know you think it's you 50 know? something countries. I it's know. amazing. I know it's it's such a loss in our country that people just think of Africa and they don't think they about the, each individual yeah, 50 like countries Ghana and then the and Nigeria and then the and many peoples within it, right? Yes. Like the country lines are mostly a capital uh, a, a colonial creation, right? So yeah. Yeah. like the Yoruba people <laughs> go between like Benin and and you know they're they're like cross borders. So part of the fighting is that you've created these countries that don't actually follow the lines of where the people are because right. it, it didn't have anything to do with the African people. It had to do with the British <laughs> and the French and other things. So um it's yeah i i've been to nigeria and um and i would love to go back and love to go to many other countries there and it's really amazing and important when you start to understand the nuances of the country and also Mm -hmm. of the effects of colonialism and and the linkages between the linkages and the non-linkages between africa and america yeah and west africa in particular i'm gonna try to go next year i said you know what i have got to get to africa i've I just it, just being at the salon, Africa yeah. salon, I could feel it. I yeah. could feel the call or the draw to it. I was like, and never before have I ever felt that way. I mean, yeah. when I go to Caribbean, I feel very much at home. Like right. this is where I ought to be. So I just feel like, I, you know, I want to get to South Africa. I want to get to Ghana. I want to yeah. get to you know all these places where these folks that I've met in places that are not conflict heavy. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? But yeah, Nigeria was a little bit intense. It was a, I was there actually. It was a long time ago now, but in two thousand. And, um, you know, it's a former military dictatorship and there's things that were difficult about being there. But again, the people were amazing. The food was, I mean, the culture. We were there during the Egungun ceremony, which Uh is the, or festival, which is the ancestor festival. So each lineage of people has a masquerader and the person who's wearing it is kind of possessed with the the spirit of that ancestor and is masquerading around and it's amazing. It goes on for days. I don't know if I want to hear my ancestors resurrected that way, but... (laughs) It's part of the whole social. No, I mean I don't. Some of them I just don't like. Yes, but <laughs> it's, I don't want yes. to conjure up the wrong ones. Yes, understood, understood. It's, but yeah, uh, I mean I, it was a, it, it was wonderful. <laughs> and, and then I made it to the jazz festival. I don't know if you're mm, a jazz person. I'm a very much a jazz. But the person, jazz festival yeah. was interesting too. So yeah. I was like, you know, we're having it so rich yes. with activity. Yeah, but I know. I was watching you on Facebook, and I was sad to be missing. <laughs> and my life is. My personal family life, there's like a thousand go- things going on right now, Girl, so I had to I miss. Know. I had to miss that, but yeah, I was envying you from yeah. from, <laughs> from social media out at all these things that I wanted to be at. So, <laughs> what song is this, Harry? Oh, this is Boasorci. This is Vanessa Gimata and Ben Harper. Um, it's nice. Yeah, so she's a Brazilian artist. 
This is my song when I'm feeling stressed out. I have this on my phone. I just put this on and it just chills, just chills me you right out. out. <laughs> and I love it because so she's singing in Portuguese and he is singing in English, but singing a translation of the lyrics and they sort of overlap each other. But I speak Portuguese more or less, and so I also like kind of hearing the nuance of how they've translated a little differently uh-huh. things. But uh, yeah, it's just such a beautiful chill song. I know everybody should have a chill song or their go-to song. Yeah, and I was trying to explain to Harry because Harry doesn't like musicals. It's like you know you can't have a song for every emotion of your <laughs> life. And I was like, yes, you can, Harry. Like every 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 emotion has a song. We could we could and we're gonna do that like next week. We, you don't like musicals. <laughs> I'm not a big musical person myself. Movie musicals. Movie musicals. You know. Okay. Oh. Theater, theater musicals. Theater musicals is different. I'm with you on that. Unless it's like a kid movie or something. Yeah. But yeah. Right. Now, what? You don't like Funny Girl, Funny Lady? I have not seen Funny Girl. Oh my God. I yeah. am in this room with either. people <laughs> who are limited in their artistic ability. I'll check it out for you. Oh my god! I've actually wanted to see it. It's Barbara Streisand, right? Yes. yes. So I love. You got to see Funny yeah. Girl first. Yes. And then see Funny Lady. Okay. But Funny Girl is iconic, and you will. I'm telling I know you. it's one of those movies. Like I think just because I'm a little younger, like it just. Yeah. You know, it wasn't quite part of my. It was sort of an older movie, and I just never yeah. picked it up to watch. I'm watch open it. to anything. I'm telling you. Yeah. You have a daughter. Yes. Watch it with her. Okay. And you will be singing those songs because I watch it with Margot, my youngest daughter, my oldest daughter too. But my youngest daughter is a singer, songwriter. Mm-hmm. So she just likes all kinds of things. Yeah. So she's my go-to. Yeah, my daughter likes to sing too. Yeah. She's See, so it. the mm-hmm. musical kids, they'll hang yes. with you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my teenage daughter, she's like, eh. You know, I like a musical, but yeah. Yeah, I try you to know. get my daughter to sing some jazz songs. I'm like, enough of these musical songs. Like, <laughs> you know, and get some other things in your repertoire. Because she takes some singing lessons and they're always doing these musical songs. I'm like, Let's get some other so, cultures so represented glee. in this. Is too. she a glee girl? She she's too little. I haven't showed her that. How old is yeah. she? She's not. She just turned oh, nine. Oh yeah, she's yeah, young. She's oh little. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's a little young. She's a little glee. diva. This one. Yeah. So they all are, <laughs> and they and they grow more. Yes, so. yes, I know. <laughs> so, I'm enjoying the, the you know, young. You the might want to take up drinking. No. <laughs> <laughs> you might call me when she's fourteen. Be like, you know what, Babs. Cocktail right about now. <laughs> right. What the doctor ordered? Aww, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're getting ready to go on a trip? Yes. To honor your your grandparents. Yeah, my grandmother's family, as I said, was from Holland, and um, her family had run this inn that was like a kosher inn, and it's where um, she grew up, and where my mom and all my mom's cousins were born there, because the family, my grandma and her brother and other brothers, lived there. My grandma and her brother are the only ones to survive from the Holocaust. All the rest of the family was killed. Whoa. So um, her brother, her actually, his, so his four children survived. They were in hiding, which is very, very rare. Like, you know, Holland was one of the worst countries in terms of handing over all the Jews to the Nazis. Like, some countries were more hesitant to do that, and they were not. Um, and so the inn was still standing until a few months ago, and... Um, they just tore it down, and so they're doing a memorial for um, for the family in relation to the fact they were sort of, the Dutch government was sort of shamed into it a little bit. Uh, about six years ago, um, people in the government and in sort of the, I always say it's like the Ken Burns of Holland, like the person who does these like <laughs> national like retrospectives of something. So they got turned on to my grandmother's story um, because she's the only Dutch survivor of Sobibor, the death camp 
that she and my grandfather were in. And um, they sent a crew, a TV crew and uh, the historian person here. And they did all this research on her and interviewed her. Uh, my grandfather had passed away already a few years before and they wrote a book and made a, a wow. TV documentary. There's actually a few books written. People can go on, I think, on Netflix and YouTube. There's a, the movie Escape from Sobibor. Mm-hmm. It was a ABC TV movie in like the 80s or so. Um, that's their story as part of that story. Um, that's about the the revolt. And it's you can just see it on YouTube. And it used to be on Netflix. I'm not sure if it still is. But um, so this crew came and they wrote this book and did this TV movie. And then the queen wanted to... St- kind of knight her it's called like making her a dame yeah um that's cool yeah except it's for something horrible but yeah it was cool so it was sort of they were sort of doing like an apology kind of for how she was treated and how the jewish people were treated i don't it was in dutch so i don't know exactly how much of an actual apology it was but in (laughs) i my sister and i took my grandmother to holland for for that whole uh time when they were airing this movie and um, and it was a really big deal. Like we, everywhere we went, people recognized her. We didn't realize it was like all over TV. Like they were, you know, really promoting it. And so in the time we were there, we went to the town where my grandmother was from and, um, we went to see the inn where her family had lived and, um, and the mayor of the town said, we will do something to, we're, this inn is going to be torn down, but we'll do something to honor it. And so now six years later, um, they were reminded by by a reporter in Holland that they hadn't kept their word. And so now they're, they're doing something. Wow. And so 35 members of my extended family are actually wow. going there. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's going to be pretty. So four, uh, five of the six kids, my mom and four of her cousins, her brother's not going, but everybody else is going who were born there and, and raised there for some part of their childhood um, are going there. And then their descendants. Have like, they been there since? I mean, have they, some I mean, of them, some of them, my mom had been there. Her, one of her cousins has gone a number of times. I'm not sure if all of them have been. Okay. So this is going to be quite moving. Mm-hmm. So who's going to write this book about your family? You, you interested? I, I, I'd like to write something about this trip. So I'll be writing about this trip. Cause that um, seems like a whole lot of rich yeah, history and yeah. all of that. There's a lot written. So the, the story, my grandparents story has been written a lot, mm-hmm. but it's very well documented. Uh, the family after them, not so much. So, wow. Yeah, but I, I'll be doing some writing about. So this, who's going? This. Who's going from your camp? Are you taking your children I'm and your husband? My children and my husband. Wow. Yeah, have I they am. been? Have they ever been no, there? My kids have never been. They've okay. been to Canada, but aside from that, they've not been out of the country. So, so this will be this will a be, really big trip. Yeah, yeah. And then my son's bar mitzvah, which is a really significant coming of age ceremony yes. in the be, Jewish what, 13, tradition. 13? He's turning thirteen this Friday. We're leaving on Saturday for Holland, and then a week after we get back is his bar mitzvah. And so, so where are you having deep. it at? Is it going to be the one of these big? No, we're doing like, sort of chill. Like, he wanted to have. I mean, it'll be at the temple, and and he uh, he wanted to have an open mic night. He he loves going to all the open mic things around New Haven. So um, <laughs> he's got the best hair. This boy, yes, red he's, afro. He has the. Be- I know him anywhere. <laughs> it's the best hair. Yeah, everybody finds me because of him. <laughs> so yeah, no, we're keeping it on the more chill side. Really? So, yeah. I mean, it'll be a big special thing, but you know, I think that. Uh, we we try to like not make material possessions be so important and try to have some good values in our family about justice and equity and so um we try not to go over the top on things that don't need to be over the top but the stuff that's meaningful like having friends and family do songs and poems and and things that we're making for him for it we're trying to make it really meaningful and Mm -hmm. not just about a party so it's it's really about the 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 significance of like him becoming a a young person and and responsibilities and learning and and all that kind of stuff and really trying to 
kind of so usher now, him through. You know, we have about five, I don't know what, five minutes left. Who's coming on after me, Harry? Who's What's today, Wednesday? Yeah, Mubaraka. Mubaraka. Ah. Is she coming in today? Is she here? Yeah, she, okay. Yeah. So, Tegan, how do you maneuver race? Mm. Because, you know, you're a Jewish woman and you, yes. you got a black husband and black kids. Or yeah. do they identify as, I don't... They identify that, as mixed. I think um, they're very light-skinned. Mm-hmm. So I think that in New Haven, I find, you know, race is sort of tricky in New Haven sometimes. We have a lot of black and white. We don't have a lot of brown and mixedness in the middle. And I think um, I think it's a little tricky for them sometimes at school that mm-hmm. they can be perceived as white. Um, they We really raise them to know their identity, know their ancestry and their heritage. Um, and I think sometimes my son identifies as black, sometimes as mixed. And I think it's something that will evolve with him as he mm-hmm. as he grows. How do I navigate race? Um, with intention and with thoughtfulness. Um, I think, you know, growing up in New Haven, like I've been navigating race my whole life. I think mm-hmm. all of us, I mean, even if you grow up in an all white area, you're navigating race. It's just only around <laughs> white people. But uh, yeah, I think it's been... You know, it's been a long process of learning for mm-hmm. me in my life. Because race it. is so much on the on the national agenda right yes. now. Even even if it's not spoken loud loudly, yeah. it's it's it, it's at the undercurrent of everything that right. we are in yeah. the midst of at the moment. And yeah. so so I'm always curious how people sort of um, walk those lines because mm-hmm. you have mixed children. I mean, I have yeah. a mixed daughter. My oldest daughter is um, mixed mm. biracial. She identifies as very, very black, but mm-hmm. she's very, very light skinned. Mm. Um, but she's clearly, you know, says I'm, you know, I'm a black woman or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I've just I've watched. It has been interesting to watch the world's reaction to her mm. and how she tries to move with these waters. And then my other children are clearly just not just are clearly black, black children. Right. Black. Yeah. You know, yeah. And how they are treated in a up against how she is often right. treated right you know yeah um, light skin and privilege is, and all kinds of and stuff it's, that uh, happens yeah. and she's stunning and I remember she's saying to me she's like mom what is this whole privilege thing she's like I don't she's like I don't understand what that what is that right um, you know we had these long and her father you know my my her father is um, very light skinned too mm. and he talks about having that um, his biological siblings being much darker yeah way darker yeah. than him you yeah. know yeah. Um, and so he talks about that with her all the time about, you know, how to carry yourself and right. how to think about yourself in the world and yeah. be who you want to be in that. Yeah. But I, I just was no, fascinated by um, just the, the up close treatment of, you know, skin color yeah. has on people. Yeah. You know, I, I will say for me, race is a huge thing and that it's something that I is very primary in how I see the world and how I think about things all the time. And, um, I feel a responsibility as a white person to talk about it, to talk Mm -hmm. about it with other white people, to talk about it also with other people of color and say like, you know, not all white people are ignorant about this stuff. Not that I know everything, but just like, it's something that everything that I hear and see is happening through a lens of race in the same way that it happens through a lens of being Jewish and a lens of being a woman and many other, and many other things. So, um, it's something that is a very active part of my work in New Haven, whether it's trying to build really racially diverse groups of people and kind of cultivate leadership, like use my privilege to share it with other people and try to create opportunity for other people. Um, or, you know, trying to 
make more stories visible. Like part of what I do on my show is that I, I have this very diverse community I live in. Mm-hmm. And when I listen to the radio or watch TV, I don't feel like those stories are being told about people and in a way that like respects people's humanity and culture and perspectives. And so part of what I do with my show is, is help to make those stories more visible and to also have people talk about race, have people talk about how it feels to walk in their skin, walk in their life and their experience um, in hopes that more people will hear that and understand that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a huge part of my family. I mean, talking to my kids about um, about race and about how they're perceived and how they identify and dealing with things in their school where I clearly all the time see issues of race and gender um, where uh, and also class privilege that happens and, and unequal and unfair treatment of kids and bring, trying to bring that up within with the administration, with the school district, with with teachers and talk about talk about the fact that we live in a racist society like we all learn racism all of us and sometimes it plays out unintentionally sometimes intentionally sometimes unintentionally Mm -hmm. and that we have to have conversations about this we have to be able to to um start to talk about these things not just saying you're a racist but saying like hey i noticed that you talked to that child in a harsh voice but you didn't talk to that child in a harsh voice that one was black that one was white like I'm not calling you a racist. I'm saying that we live in a racist society and we learn these things yeah. and they come out sometimes and we don't know it. So let's be aware of it and let's change it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, tr- I'm trying, it's really hard. People don't want to have that conversation sometimes, no. I, 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 <laughs> but it's, you know, I think that I, I am so happy that, um, things, words like systemic racism are something that people are talking about now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, so I'm grateful for yeah. the time that we live in and that there's more dialogue happening about this. Well, that you we, we can't we can't refute that. Yeah. I mean, people are talking about race in ways they've never before. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to have taken back, Harry. We have to have her come back. I would love so to that come we back. can talk some more about this because this was such a good conversation. Yeah. I enjoyed this. I did, too. And there's so much I more I want to know about you. you. So, yes. And me, you, you know, so <laughs> we have to come come and then we can hang offline, too. So, OK. All right, Sounds Harry. Good. That that Thank last you, that last song was uh, I like that last song. That last one was "El Mundo Va a Acabarse" by Reyes de la Calle. Yes, that look at Harry on. getting his Spanish on. I know we gotta have <laughs> Harry translate it for us. That is on one of the best albums. It's the Cuban Hip Hop All Stars album, and it's got it's oh. a compilation. It's amazing. I'm gonna go look that up. And I'm there's gonna play like it on my Spotify. Yeah, there's an incredible hip hop scene in Cuba. Um, that's a hip-hop scene everywhere that's hot and popping it's really good yeah Mm. well thank you for this lovely day yes thank you i enjoyed this so mubarka is up next and i don't know who she's talking to but you know she's always talking to the interesting people and eye-opening kinds of conversations so we'll see what she's talking about yeah thank you for listening to love babs love talk on WNHHLP 103.5 FM streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you, Harry. Have Thank a lovely you, day. <laughs> Thank you, take it. There's <laughs> heavy on my mind. Then I look at you. And the world's all right with me. Just one look at you. And I know it's gonna be a lovely day.
world of faith When someone else instead of me Always seems to know the way Then I look at you And the world's alright with me Just one look at you And I know it's gone 